Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. First Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. When I finish taking the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, to which you respond, thanks be to God. For I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Can you guys hear me? All right. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, nice to see us here. And if you are joining us for the first time, my name is Femi, and I'm so glad that you joined us. Uh, you could be anywhere else today, but you've taken our time to come and be with us. And I do pray that the time you spend here will be a blessing. You've come at a good time. We are, well, it's always a good time. If you cry, I was about to say, come at a good time. It's the meeting. We are the second part of um, a mini series, a mini series where we are looking at um, the enemy, the enemy of the church, but the enemy of humanity in general. And this is a series where we are not trying to glorify the enemy. We are trying to identify the enemy so that we can continue to exercise our victory over him. And so we started with, as Dami said, defeating his lies last week. And today we want to talk about his gaps. I should start with this, you know. Um, I'm sure most of us here live in Lagos. Most of us here live in Lagos. Anybody visiting from outside Lagos today? No one? Good. Oh, a few people. Oh, yes, of course there are a few people. But, you know, Lagos is, when, when we think about Nigeria, Lagos is described in one way. It is what? The center of excellence. excellence. The center of excellence. Now, a good friend of mine, uh, Lola Lukogbo, says it's the center of stress excellence. That's the excellence of stress. Right? Now, I think all those, both of them are sort of okay. But I like to think of Lagos as the city of hustle. The city of hustle. Everyone is hustling. And you know why we're hustling? Because if you came from a different place, uh, that, that, from Nigeria, a different place in Nigeria, let's say you are a champion there. You're a champion, you are everybody knew, you are the best at whatever you did. When you come to this city of hustle, or city of excellence, you remind you, it reminds you that you were you are just a local champion. Now, but you came to this city to, to actualize your dreams. And now that you found out that you're a local champion, you're not like everybody else, you're just average, what are you going to do to actualize your dreams? You need to do what? Hustle. <laughs> hustle. Now, you'll be fooled by the word hustle, because when I say you need to hustle, it almost makes it seem as though there is, you know, it speaks of it in the singular. Of course, when we think about hustle, we don't think about it in the singular. In fact, we have a phrase for it. If you are working, you normally will have what? Side? Plural. Side hustles. 
Now, there's another term that, we, that further explains what side hustles are. Because, like, why should you have something on the side? Don't you have work? Isn't your work giving you an income? But you see this other term that further describes side hustle. It's a better term. It's, we say that for us to actualize our dreams, we need to have multiple streams of income. I've always wondered why it wasn't called multiple trees of income. The problem is that trees are too static. You know, it can be like they can give you leaves today, then all of a sudden all the leaves go. But the streams are always flowing. Multiple streams of income. In essence, what we are really trying to say is that a hustler needs multiple income-generating strategies or schemes to be where they want to be. I have news for you guys today. Satan is a hustler. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, we are not ignorant of his schemes, plural. Last week we learned of one way he tries to defeat the church. Thank God that we have been enlightened, but don't fool yourself to think that is the only thing you need to be aware about. He has multiple schemes. And so we looked at Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus talks about the parable of the sower where he's talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says there that there is a place where the sower spread the seed, that it was fruitful. But before that, there were three other places that it wasn't fruitful. And so last week we saw that um, he told many things in the parable. The farmer went out and sowed his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. That was one of them. And that's what we looked at last week. But verse 6 now, it says, but, uh, sorry, go back to verse 5. It says, but some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Verse 6. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no roots. Now let's go to verse 20 and 21 to see the interpretation of this. It says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. And here's the strategy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution, turn to your neighbor and say trouble or persecution. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They quickly what? Fall away. You see, even though it's not explicitly spoken or said here that it was Satan that was behind it, we know he was. Last week I said it mentions him in the first one, but that the other two, why it doesn't mention him, is that he's working or, uh, you know, in a stealth-like way. He's working on the agenda. He doesn't care whether you give him what credit or not. But we can see it more explicitly in Revelation chapter 13. This Satan is now a red dragon. And this red dragon is going to work through certain beasts. The first beast comes from the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The dragon gave this beast his power and his throne and great what? Authority. Power and authority. Now verse 7, look at what happens with this beast. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people. Someone say spiritual warfare. spiritual warfare. And to conquer them. 
And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Are you seeing what's going on? He brings trouble and persecution. It's him that is doing it. In fact, that's why in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says that, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you think, well, that person is not suffering. No, he's saying, whilst they are in suffering, he is looking to devour them. How do I know that? Verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So it is in the place of suffering that he is actually wanting to devour them. Why? Because when trouble and persecution comes, the result is that they fall away. Let me tell you something that often we don't say, but we mostly feel. In church, we can't really say it, but we feel. Suffering doesn't always draw us near to God. In fact, suffering often leads us to fall away or to fall into sin. And when we fall into sin, like Isaiah 59 tells us, when we fall into sin, there is a separation between us and God. There is suffering. We turn away from God. We fall into sin. And now there is a separation. There is a gap between us and God. And that gap that is created between us and God, Satan continues to exploit that gap to ultimately devour us. It happens to individuals, communities, cities, and nations, as we saw in Revelation chapter 13. So what are satanic gaps that need to be closed? Let me put it this way. Satanic gaps are the undesirable conditions caused by satanic activity and which are further exploited to halt the advance of God's kingdom through the gospel. Should I say it again? Satanic gaps are the undesirable conditions caused by satanic activity which are further exploited to halt the advance of God's kingdom through the gospel. Is there somebody here that has a gap? Is there somebody here who is at the throes of suffering and you feel separated from God? Well, those gaps are being closed today. Amen. That brings me to my text. And don't worry about these people. They'll soon be useful. <laughs> I'm just trying to punish them a little bit. They didn't do, last week, they didn't do as I expected them to do. So they'll not be standing. But that brings us to the text that we read. You said, I want us to think about that text in the reverse. Sandra read for us. In verse 2 and verse, uh, verses 2, 3 and 4, notice he says certain things have to be done for kings and those in authority. If, watch this, if Satan is so working in kings and those in authority, do you know what the result will be? The result will be that we will not be able to live peaceful lives and quiet lives. If we cannot live peaceful lives and quiet lives in godliness and holiness, you know what, verse 3, it is not good. Why? Because it thwarts the plan of a saving God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. When there are gaps in the societies and in our lives that we live in, ultimately, why Satan creates these gaps is to do what? Is to halt the advance of the kingdom of God. So he creates the gaps. Question, because we are not here to glorify Satan. How do we close the gaps? Verse 1. 
I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, say the last one with me, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We are focusing on the third one today, intercession. We use the means of intercession to close the gaps. Intercession involves resisting the power of darkness in all its expressions and all its forms to ultimately clear way for the advance of the gospel of the kingdom. Are you following? The reason why we intercede is not just for evil sake. The reason we intercede is ultimately to allow the kingdom of God to advance. Are you following me? But in an immediate sense, sometimes, there is such a wrecking of the havoc of diabolical evil upon someone's life or in a particular place that in an immediate sense, the only reason or the function for intercession is to stop the advance of Satan. And today, some of those gaps are going to be closed. Amen. Because let me tell you, today's sermon is really just, I'm just going to try and charge you guys up. Because what we're going to do is that we're going to pray. We are going to exercise this intercession. We are going to say not just today, not today, Satan, but it is enough. Enough is what? Enough. Last week, we learned about how we use the word of God. Thank God for that. It is very important. And it has its place. But if you just think, Speaking the word of God alone is how we fight spiritual warfare. You've not started to understand our calling and who we are meant to be. The church is meant to be an interceding church. I don't know if there's somebody here who already is feeling the fire to intercede. Because I have a strong witness in my heart that if the church is God's last day prophet, then God among other churches will raise this church to be a prophetic interceding church. Are you with me? And so today I'm asking God for an anointing, an unusual anointing to fill this house so that after we hear the sermon, no, in fact, before we hear the sermon, even now we're going to sing about that, but after the sermon, God is going to raise an army of people that will bring havoc to the kingdom of Satan and so that they will clear the way for the kingdom of God to advance. Are you with me today? And so if we're looking for the anointing, let me tell you, the anointing is not just for me. 1 John 2 verse 20 says something. Because many times we come and say, let the speaker be anointed. But do you know you need an anointing yourself? It says that, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you, all of you what? Can we rise to our feet and just for two minutes, ask God in song for this anointing to fall on us. To fall on me, the speaker, but to fall on your hearts. To fall on your hearts, to charge us up so that we will go to the high places, we will bring the enemy's kingdom down. Let us sing with the music team.
spirit for the anointing. So we're going to look at this sermon in three parts. It's all about intercession. Motivated for intercession, prepared for intercession, and filled for intercession. Motivated for intercession, prepared for intercession, and filled for intercession. What is intercession? Well, there are two. I got two um, uh, dictionary, uh, uh, two dictionary Meanings, right? Two dictionary meanings. First one is this. Intercession is to act or interpose on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble as by pleading or petition. Someone in difficulty or in trouble as by pleading or petition to act in their behalf. Another definition says to use your influence to persuade someone in authority to forgive another person or save this person from punishment. These are secular definitions. They're not even biblical ones. But I hope you get from those two definitions that an intercessor always works between two parties. That's why sometimes they are referred to as mediators. They are in the middle between two parties. But one of those parties is in difficulty or trouble. And to see them come out of it and to further avoid more trouble, you have to what? Intercede. One of them is in difficulty or in trouble. Sometimes it is in trouble that they've inflicted on themselves. And it may not just be an individual. It can be a group of people, it can be an entire city. How do I know that? Ezekiel chapter 22. You see, many times when we talk about Nigeria, 
depending on who you talk to and depending on your persuasion. If you ask what is the problem with Nigeria, some people will tell you straight up, it is the government. By that, we are talking about systemic evil, the structures that exist. The problem is the government. But then some other people will say, I am the government people. The last time I went to one pharmacy, they didn't give me my change. The problem with Nigerians is not the structure. The problem in Nigeria is what? The people. And so depending on your view, you are either looking at personal evil or you are looking at systemic evil. I say a plague on both their houses. When you come to Jerusalem in the time of Ezekiel, just before the exile, the two of them exist. In Ezekiel 22, if you look at verses 6 to 12, you see, at verse 6 to 12, you see all manner of personal evils. In you, they have treated father and mother with contempt. They have oppressed the foreigner, treated the fatherless with uh, the fatherless and their country. Father, well, you have despised my holy laws and desecrated my Sabbath. Move on. The, uh, the people are bent on shedding blood. They eat at mountain shrines and commit lewd acts. Do you see? All personal. But by the time you get to verses um, uh, tw uh, 25 to 29, notice what he says. There is a conspiracy among her princes within her, like a, like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, treasures and precious, whatever it is, because Toby is not allowing me to see all right, precious, uh, uh, there are many widows within her. Her priests, so notice the princes, the priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. If you go further down, it says that that was the priest. The next thing, the prophets, verse 27, 28, move on. 27, yeah, her officials. So now we have the priests, we have the uh, princes, we have the officials within her are like wolves, tearing their prey. Go to the next verse. How what? Prophets, whitewash. Personal and what? Systemic. It was a stinking city. Full of all manner of evil. And it had been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. And at some point, God said what? I have seen enough. I am coming down to visit this city. And let me tell you something. Before God ever comes down in his wrath, he's always looking for a particular kind of person or a particular group of people. Who are they? Verse 30. I'll read it myself. Verse 30. I looked for someone among them. Say, I looked for someone among them. God is looking for someone. I look for someone among them who will build up the wall and do what? Say it with me. Stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So that what will happen? I will not destroy it. And this is the tragedy. But I found what? No. That will not be our portion in the name of Jesus. I found what? None. And so as a result, because I found none to stand in the gap, I found none to intercede. I found none to mediate. Verse 31, this is what is going to happen. I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger. He looked for one, but he couldn't find any. Now the classical example of an intercessor is when God met with Abraham. I'm not going to go there, but you can check it out in Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 18, verse 22 to 33. It was about Sodom and Gomorrah. In that case, God found someone. But Sodom and Gomorrah was so bad <laughs> that he still poured out his wrath. 
But an example that can encourage us is after the children of Israel have just been delivered from Egypt, they are in the wilderness of Sinai, and Moses has gone up to receive the commandments of the Lord. He's gone to speak with God on their behalf. He's coming down, and what does he find? They have built a golden calf. These people that God demonstrated his power for in Egypt, at the Red Sea, they had started saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. God said, Moses, step aside. I will start another nation through you, but these people are going. And then in verse 11 to 14, Moses then does what? He said, why should you pour out your anger against your people who you brought out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Later he says, remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember the covenant, remember all of these things. Moses said, here is God, here is the people, I stand in the gap. And then verse 14, because he did that successfully, what did he say? Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. May God cause you to stand in the gap and to avert his wrath in the name of Jesus for whoever it is or for wherever it is. May God make us to be like Moses. So the question is, why should you intercede? Somebody will say, well, because I want to be like Moses. Are you sure you want to be totally like Moses? He didn't enter the promised land. <laughs> but whilst we can find examples in the Bible like that, that help us, someone like that, but we find that Moses is not perfect. We need a deeper motivation to be able to push us, what, to intercede. Now let me give an example. I don't know, if, if, can I have three people here, three guys? Is it possible? We three guys can quickly run. Elijah, Dami. And uh, Prosper, Udu, quickly. Oh, ah, that's a rather complicated way of coming. <laughs> Prosper, stand here. You stand here. Dami, stand here. Elijah, just stand somewhere there. Uh, no, move a little bit. Uh, further away. You know why. Elijah is God. No, 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 no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. Okay, a little bit. Now, some of us have been in this condition before. You know what it is to have your faith strong. You've had strong faith before. You know, it's such that when some other people, when some people see you, they'll be like, ah, ah, you know, because they knew how your strong faith was, and now they see it, ah, ah, fei. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not calling out anybody. There is strong faith, but sometimes we go through a lot, and our faith starts to fail. It's not, it has nothing to do with the hairstyle, I'm sorry. Because this one too, it was just God that delivered it very recently. Failing faith, and what? Strong faith. We know what it is to have been here before, but now we are here. Now, when we are here, and when we are here, which one is closer to God? This one. So the further away we fall in our faith, the further we are away from God. When we are further away from God, you notice the gap has increased. It is not just that we are far away from God. That's not just the problem. 
When we are farther away from God, now we are in the thicket of the valley of the shadow of death. And there's somebody that is waiting for us here. <laughs> you see, you all know, you all know bad. <laughs> the further we are away from God, the further we are away from God, the more Satan is able to exploit us. Are you seeing what I'm saying? The larger the gap, the more the enemy is able to capture us. Amen. So, remember Peter last week. Dami talked about Peter. We talked about Peter and Judas, right? And remember we said that Peter, the denier, eventually was restored. Why was he restored? The reason he was restored, in fact, when Jesus told him that you will deny me three times in Luke chapter 22, before that he had said something to him. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan, Satan, he knew that his faith was failing. Satan has wanted to sift you. Our faith is failing. So how is it that we bridge the gap when our faith will not fail? And then Jesus uttered these words. He says, but I have prayed for you. Oh my God. I have what? Prayed for you. Don't miss what is going on here. When it comes to prayer, and the interrelation between two kinds of people in prayer. There are four, at least four types of prayer. And each of those emphasizes a particular interrelational dynamic. Let me explain what I mean. There are four types of the prayer. One, I can pray with you. When I pray with you, the interpersonal dynamic that is emphasized here is parity. When we sit down together, we break into hurdles. I pray with you, you pray with me. What is going on there? There is parity. Are you following me? But when I can say, I want to pray over you. Now, at that point, the interpersonal relationship that is, uh, that is being emphasized is authority. Like a father blesses his son, or a grandfather blesses his child, or a pastor blesses his people. None of you come to ask me. Don't worry. Keep going on the way you want. <laughs> so I pray with you, parity. I pray over your authority. Then I can pray about you. So when you say, hey, can you, I'm going through this kind of thing, can you pray about this? Well, when my wife and I, we do our devotions, we think about this person, we think about that person. When I'm praying about you, it is affinity that is the strong thing. My love for you makes me remember you. All of these are important, but when I pray for you, ah, that's another thing. When I pray for you, that means that I am saying, I will take on the responsibility that is the interpersonal dynamic at play. Responsibility that this thing that you have brought before me, I will not rest until I see that thing come to pass in your life. Are you following me? So when Jesus spoke to Peter, he did not say, I have prayed about you. I am praying with you. I am praying over you. He said, I have prayed what? For you. What Jesus was saying to Peter was that, I have taken on the responsibility. Even though you are failing, you will not fail. Even though you are falling, you will not totally fall away. I will bring you back. So Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And he starts going, he bridges the gap. So he then says to Peter, he says, so when, you're, when, you, are, when you are what? Return back, strengthen your brothers. Are you following? It is only somebody who is strong that can strengthen others. How did he get the strength back? Jesus said, I have what? Prayed for you. He prayed for his failing faith so that he will be strong. He bridged the gap so that Satan would not be able to sift him. Are you following? 
You see, that brings me to something. Ah, may God help us. The reason why you and I stand, we rate ourselves too highly. We rate ourselves what? You think you know something. It is the prayers that are keeping you. A few months ago, there was a debate that was going on in Nigerian, Christian, whatever. And the debate was on this. Can a Christian lose his salvation? It was going all around. And different men of God were saying different things, taking different positions. And people were warning people, people were whatever. Can a Christian lose his salvation? Let me tell you. Do you want to know the answer? you want to know the answer? Let me tell you. A Christian, a Christ, can a Christian lose his salvation? Of course he can. He loses his salvation over and over and over again. Because if the salvation was brought by him, he can lose it. He will lose it over and over and over again. Are you following me? If the salvation was his own, then he will lose it. But if his salvation was given to him, was obtained by somebody else, then it is not his business to sustain that salvation. Our salvation, if it was bought by Jesus, it is beyond our pay grade to be able to keep it. He is the one that keeps us. The one who keeps us, how is he able to keep us? Look into, uh, read Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall condemn? Who is the one that condemns? He says, no one. Why? Because somebody was condemned in our place. And the one who was condemned in our place is still living. And when he leaves, he went to heaven. Now he's in heaven. Let me ask you, what do you think he's doing? He is making what? Intercession for us at the right hand of God. It is not your business. It is not your, in your power to keep your salvation. There is one that does it for us. Because what he starts, he does what? He finishes. That's why in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, he says that therefore he is able to save partially. He is able to save three quarterly. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. How? Because he ever lives to make an intercession for us. You will not fail in the name of Jesus. Because the power does not reside in you. There is one that is making intercession for us. Let me tell you a secret. Satan wants you. And if Satan gets you, you are finished. But he will not get you. Because there is one whoever lives that is making intercession for us. And so if that is what is done for us, if we name the name of Christ, let us do the same. Because a name is important. What is in a name? Huh. There's a story about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest world generals of all time, but also ruled over a vast empire. His empire came in between the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire. The reason why in Jesus' time everybody was speaking Greek was because of Alexander the Great, a great general. He hated something, though, because he was a great general. Do you know what he hated? When there was a war, if there was cowardice, if somebody turned back, he would rather you died on the battlefield than come back. So one day he was holding court, and they brought a young man to him. And the young man was guilty of cowardice. And so Alexander sat on his throne. And he asked the young man, what is your name? And that young man, knowing that Alexander had the power of life and death over him, 
was shaking. But he uttered his name. You know what his name was? Alexander. Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great stood up from his throne and he said, what is your name? At this point, the boy was shaking even more. And as he shook, he barely said, he said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great stood up from, took, went from his throne, came close to him and said, what is your name? And the boy said, with a barely audible voice, looking down, Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him and said, change your conduct or change your name. Can I speak to somebody here? If you call the name of Jesus Christ, the one who intercedes for us, the one who intercedes to save us completely, if you don't desire to be an intercessor, can I say something to you? Change your conduct and become an intercessor or change your name. But I say by the grace of God, none of us will change our name. We will act out the name of Christ that we name in the name of Jesus Christ. For he ever lives to intercede for us. Some of us don't know how important this intercession is. See this country. This country has wonderful parts. Very good parts. Let's not lie. Look at the place we are sitting in. It's not bad. So let's not always make it seem as though everything is bad. But there are bad things happening in this country. The cost of diesel is too high. Power grid collapsing is not good. People fighting, kidnapping. Some people trained that we're just trying to celebrate. It's a security hazard now. There are bad things going on in this country. Can I tell you a secret? It can be worse. It should have been worse. Let me tell you something. All indicators that people use to judge geopolitical nations together, whether they should stay together, all in indications show that we should have been torn apart since 1966. There was an American diplomat that told one of our former governors, he said, he said, we don't do business with Nigeria. We're not trying to. He said, our interest, America's interest, Europe's interest is one thing. Nigeria must not break away. Because if Nigeria collapses, the whole of Africa collapses. One out of five or six people in, in Africa is Nigeria. Imagine if Nigeria should collapse, Africa will collapse. Now, let me ask you something. How do you think Nigeria has been kept together? Do you think it's all the governors we have been electing all the while? Do you think it's the presidents? Do you think it's the civil servants? I show you a mystery. There has been a faithful lineage, a faithful line of intercessors that has held this country together. Their history is not written, but it is written in heaven. We have, listen, when we say in our, in our anthem, we say that, uh, is it anthem or pledge, that the labor of our heroes past, these are our true heroes past, the ones that have kept us together. May the labor of these heroes past not what? Be vain. We will not fail them. I said we will not fail them. Motivated for intercession because we serve one who intercedes for us so that we will never fail. Thank you very much. Now, if that's the motivation, we have to be prepared for it. Because if you're going to be an effective intercessor, it's not just that you just pray. You have to be effective. You have to be what? Prepared. And we are prepared in two ways. We have to be appropriately dressed and we have to be persistently determined. Let me take the first one. I want to go to Isaiah 59. We started with it. I'm not going to go through everything, but it's a very important passage. You see, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, 
It tells you about the state of Israel. Now, in Ezekiel's time, that was what was currently happening. But in Isaiah's time, he was prophesying about what was going to happen in Ezekiel's time. So in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, he says that it is not that my hand is too short to save, neither is my ear too dull to hear, but your iniquity has separated you from what? Your God. There was a gap because of the iniquity. If you then read from verses 3 all the way to verse 15, my God. In fact, Paul, when he was talking about why the wrath of God is coming upon all humanity, Romans chapter 3, he quotes from Isaiah 59. It is terrible. So God says in verse 16, he says this, I have to now come down. But here was the problem he saw. He said, he saw that there was no one. He was appalled. No one for what? That there was no one to what? Intervene. In this situation, there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his righteousness sustained him. In other words, God was now going to come down and he was going to do something about the situation. He was going to bring vengeance to his enemies and he was going to bring salvation for his people. Judgment for his enemies, salvation for his people. But before he did that, something else had to be done. I was talking to a group of guys yesterday, whether we like it or not. You know, nowadays the new techie generation... Um, when we go to office and we go to work, it's not about going to office that work. I just need to put on some t-shirts because I'm just going to code and do, you know, put on some joggers. Oh, I couldn't really care about what's going on here, you know. I have a lot of money, but I just don't want people to know that I have money, so I just keep wearing the same t-shirts. I'm just really following Mark Zuckerberg. My friend, Mark Zuckerberg's t-shirts are $400. How much is your own? <laughs> we used to have a saying. Maybe we should bring it back. Dress the way you want to be. Yes, yes. Don't, don't be surprised if the gate man doesn't allow you to enter and you say you want to see the CEO. It was the way you dressed. You understand me? We are meant to be dressed appropriately for whatever occasion we go for. Do you understand? And so when God says he's about to intervene, he's about to intervene in vengeance, he's about to intervene in salvation, he had to get dressed. So he says he put on righteousness at his breastplate. He put on the helmet of salvation. He put on the garment of vengeance. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He got dressed because he was about to address what? A situation. And so by the time he came, verse 18, he does what? According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. That was because he had clothed himself in vengeance, right? We saw that. And zeal. But in verse 20, the salvation part comes in. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. So you see, the kingdom of God is advancing, yes. But the sad thing there is still that there was no one to intervene. He's not celebrating. He's celebrating, yes, he has to do his own thing. But he needed someone to intervene. And so there was an expectation. Is there anybody that is eventually going to join God and intervene here? In verse 21, he gives us the expectation. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words, say my words, that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips. Stop. God said there is coming a people, a covenant people. I will put my lips on them. They will not be silent. But if these people are meant to be true, and really follow God, what do you expect them to be? They also have to be what? Dressed. 
if they are going to fight the battle of the Lord, they also need to be dressed. Can we find these people somewhere else in Scripture? Somebody give me Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, 11. Put on what? The full armor of God. Why do we put on the full armor of God? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember, we said there are multiple. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Please, can I get serious with you? The danger of last week's sermon is that people think that warfare is only fought by quoting Bible. People think that warfare is only going to be fought on a cerebral basis. Let me quickly tell you, who is writing this? Paul. He's writing to who? The Ephesians. He has spent time in Ephesus before. He wasn't in Ephesus when he wrote to them. If you read Acts chapter 19, Paul began his ministry in Ephesus. In verses 8, 9, and 10, the cerebral people would like that because they said he got a lecture hall where he taught about the kingdom of God. And because of that, the word of the Lord spread throughout all Asia. He said, you see, it's just about talking about the word. It's about preaching the word. That is it. Later, it then says that handkerchiefs that Paul used, that evil spirits were coming out of people. That was demons, right? Demons that are in people. But, and I'm going to use the word some people don't like, he was also fighting the territorial demon of that place as manifested in the goddess Artemis. Paul was doing so much work that people were saying that Artemis should be discredited. This Artemis that supposedly fell from heaven, this Artemis that they built a temple for, that was one of the seventh ancient wonders of the world, Paul wasn't just preaching, no, he was preaching, yes, but for the preaching to be effective, Paul waged warfare. Are you following what I'm saying? In fact, when Paul was doing the thing he was doing, eventually they said people came and burnt their scrolls, their magic arts, to the tune of 50,000 drachmas. That is like paying 16 people for 10 years wages. It was a lot. Paul was dealing in the spirit. It was affecting the economy. And so when he says, put on the full armor of God, he's saying, yes, everything we are doing is for the gospel, but we are also engaging spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to be prepared. And if we are going to be prepared, he says, you prepare for one reason, to stand. Do you see it? So that you can what? Stand against the enemy's, the devil's schemes. Have you ever seen a boxer, a bo two boxers? When does, when does the boxing finish? When someone has been knocked out. The whole aim of boxing is to knock your opponent out. If you are standing firm, at least you will not lose. And so he gives us this armor. Let me quickly go through them and what they are. The six of them, because they work hand in hand. He says that we should put on the belt of truth and the helm and the breastplate of righteousness. Really, it is the breastplate that, that is righteousness. What is going on there? Very simple. Because again, it's all about the gospel. The belt of truth is when you take the gospel and work it in your life. If you want to know a little bit about this, go and listen to the sermon, Gospel, um, City Church Pursues Gospel Renewal. But it is not just using the gospel to get people saved. It is understanding the gospel in a way that it, becomes, it starts to transform what your life so that it produces righteousness in you. Are you following? Those are those two. The breastplate that is righteousness is righteousness as a behavior that stops us from falling. Because if we continue to live in unrighteousness and we claim that we are naming the name of the Lord, Satan will be happy as he's slapping us over and about. We are already fallen. 
But if you receive the belt of truth, that is, you apply the gospel to yourself, then it will produce a life of righteousness that makes you stand. Are we following? Then you have the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. Both of them guard you. But the helmet of salvation is put on your head, so you use the understanding of the gospel to ward against false teachings, deceptions of the enemy. It is guarding your mind. Are we following? The shield of faith to stop all the words of the enemy is total protection. But the protection that we get as we ward off the enemy's accusations and lies that makes us doubt God. For people who are going to stand, we must have a rock-solid faith in God. That faith shields us from all the attacks of the enemy. Are we still together? And then finally, we have to have our feet shod with our feet shod with the readiness to preach the gospel. It's not so much the shoes, it is the, the, the function of the shoes. The shoes make us ready to do a particular thing. That's why it says in Isaiah 52, how wonderful of the mountain are the feet of them that what? Preach good news. So there is a readiness for us all the time to use the gospel as a weapon so that if the enemy is bringing something, we are hitting him back. And that is what we call the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you put on this whole armor, then you are ready to fight because the fight hasn't really fully started. It has started small with the word of God, but there is now something else. If you put all of that, now open to verse 18. I want us to count the number of, word, of times this word, P-R-A-Y, or its variant occur between, in these three verses, verses 18 to 20, and in the spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words, they may be given me so that I will, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of what? The gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it what? Fearlessly as I should. Do you remember Isaiah 51, 59 verse 21 said that I will have a covenant people and my words that I have put on their lips will not depart from them. Those words, when we have prepared ourselves and we are ready to fight, those words will come against all spirits that walk around in our areas or in people's lives. We come with the word of God. Are we together? And ultimately, what this does is to clear way, Paul says, so that I may preach the gospel boldly, I may preach the gospel fearlessly, I may preach the gospel what? Clearly. But there's one more thing. Jesus told a parable. There's a characteristic about those who engage in intercession. Jesus told a parable to this effect in Luke chapter 18. He talked about a woman who wanted justice from an unjust judge. The man was corrupt. But the only way the woman was able to get justice from the man wasn't trying to appeal to any kind of morality. What did, what did she do? She kept on tiring the man, tiring the man, going over and over. And he said, I don't fear God, and I'm an unjust person, but this woman, will wear, she will nag me to death. And so if, because of that, I will give her what, what she asked for. Jesus said, God is not unjust. God is not wicked. What do you think he will do to his people that call upon his name day and night? He will give them what they want and he will give them quickly. But the point is this. 
When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? In other words, the faith he's looking for is a faith that shows itself in persistence. And so he tells us in verse 1 what the parable was all about. He told this parable to the end to show us that men ought always to pray and not I was looking for those who know King James and those who, the people that are reading this, so I said, give up. But men ought always to pray and know what? Yeah. Hey, God bless you. We have some intercessors in this house here. We ought to pray in a way that never gives up. It is the ministry of watchers. People who watch, who say, remember we said, Jesus said, I've prayed for you. People who watch, who say, until this thing happens, I will not stop praying. You know, many times we are like, ah, let's just pray about this thing. Ah, we have prayed, we have prayed. But when the thing has got into your heart, you'll be like, until something happens, we are going to pray. That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 61 verse 2, he was born like such. He said, I have, for Zion's sake, I will not remain, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet until, turn to your neighbor and say until. Do you understand? I will not be quiet. I will not be silent until certain things happen to Jerusalem. Until our vindication shines out like a dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. And then he then recruits some other people because someone say, hey, you know that Isaiah, he normally goes to a real okay. Yeah, I can't do all of those kind of things. He said he's recruiting some people. By God's grace, we'll recruit some people here today. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You will call on the, on the Lord. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and every laden, and I will give you rest. It's good. Put it aside for now. Give yourself no rest, and then give, Jesus, is, God can take care of his own rest, but he said, give him no rest. Like the Luke 18. Give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her what? A praise of the earth. God is looking for watchmen that look for something until it happens. Can I introduce you to one prophetic intercessor like that? Her name is Anna. She basically fulfilled this scripture. This woman got married, and in those times, in Jesus' time, Luke chapter 2, really, she got married very early. She probably got married as a teenager, maybe late. Let's even give her 20. She got married, and for seven years, she was married for seven years, her husband died. And following that, she was going to the temple. Let's say she was 27. 27 up until what? 84. How many years is that? 57 years. At least. What was she looking for? She was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And she prayed for this 57 years. Said for day and night she went to the temple. That's why God says keep barging on the door. Eventually God will give us what we want. Amen. And so eventually she saw when the widow was in before. She had never left the temple. But worshipped night and day. Fasting and praying. Coming up to them. Thank you. Coming up to them. Somebody has talked that thing. Yeah, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about a child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Her eyes saw what she had been praying for. Maybe you have been praying for someone's salvation. Or maybe you have a family member or maybe a spouse that is sinking further and further and further into something. Can I encourage you? Pray until that thing happens. He is looking for people who will be watchmen, who will pray, and they will not what? Give up. A few mentors of mine in the mid-2000s went to Sierra Leone. At that time, it was not long after all their wars, and they started opening up. And they had a couple of meetings with a number of people, you know, over a few days. 
And they always noticed that somewhere at the back, there was one lady there. She just kept on looking, looking all the time. They would have the meeting and she kept looking at them conspicuously. At the end of the final meeting, the woman sort of, you know, she was old, so she walked to them steadily. And she took them and said, you are the answer to a prayer I have been praying for 35 years. For what? 35 years. Guys, I don't understand the mystery of prayer. Sometimes God answers us immediately. But other times God says, I want to demonstrate, I want to see a people of faith. I want to see a people who are so burdened. I want to see people who will be watchmen, who will say, I will pray until this thing happens. Is that anointing in the house today? But can I also tell you, because it doesn't just work individually, it also works corporately. And sometimes you intercede because you have a deadline. Who knows about deadlines? Something is about to happen. In Acts chapter 12, this was a corporate issue. We are told in verse 1 and 2 and 3 that Herod wanted, he was, he, he, he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the church. And he took one of the apostles, the first apostle that was killed, James. He killed James. And when he saw that it was appealing to the Jews, you know what he did? He said, oh, well, this thing is good though. He took Peter and put him in prison and he was going to execute Peter the next day. Hmm. Why did he do it? He said he was doing it for the Jews. It was political. But did you notice the word persecution there? Who is behind persecution? He thought it was political. It was actually diabolical. You can have both of them at the same time. Amen? And there are certain things that also happen in our nation. On the face of it, it looks political, but it is being motivated by the evil one. And so what was going to happen now, at this point, they are going to execute Peter the next day. At that point, we are not looking for another type of prayer. So that was 35 years. Peter is, is tomorrow. Do you understand? Like you, somebody comes to me, you know when you have a deadline, maybe a contract you have to deliver, and somebody saying, can you come for fellowship? Let's pray about it. He said, oh God, tomorrow, tomorrow, I need an emergency prayer. Sometimes we have deadlines. And in this case, the church had a deadline. James had already gone. Peter was about to, get, was about to go as well. And guess what? The people, they didn't know anybody in government. They didn't, know any, any, they didn't have any uncle in high places. They didn't have anyone that had the means. Who was going to talk to Herod? They had no political power. They had no economic power. That's when they remembered they had spiritual power. So that men can know that God still rules in the affairs of men. They started to pray. And they were praying. They said they were praying through the night. Praying through the night. And let me tell you, there are times when you have deadlines and we intercede with such fervor that we bang the gates of heaven and then desperate solutions come because we're in a desperate situation. Immediately there were angels that had gone off work. God said you are going to work overtime today. He dispatched angels to that prison door. As the gates of heaven were open, the prison doors also were open. And I'm telling you guys, you may not believe in angels. Let me tell you, I believe what? Somebody sang a song, a group sang a song. If you knew the angels by my side, on my left and on my right. Who knows that song? My garrison around me. Yeah. You can see the old timers here. Yeah. Yeah, Kush. Yeah, you're no timer now. God sends angels. And we can pray today. Listen, we hear about some of the persecution of Christians. Even in this nation. Last year, Nigeria was the most 
the, the most dangerous nation to live in for, for Christians. Did you know that? And none of us is going to be able to go there. We can't even read those places. We can send angels there. I said we can send angels there. What are angels? Are they not ministering spirits sent to serve those who would inherit salvation? Angels are meant to be, let's say respectfully, but they are our servants. I said we can send angels. And so we are looking for people who would intercede, who would bind the gates of heaven, who would say to Satan, enough is what? Enough. It may seem that it's political. It may seem that it's economic, but it's actually diabolical. And God has given us the power to be able to do something about it. But finally, if that is the case, if that is the motivation, and this is the preparation, if you notice in Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says something. He says, 6.18, he says, praying on all occasions, pray, pray in the what? In the spirit on all occasions. Why does it say pray in the spirit? It's because of somebody here that is saying something like this. This intercession that you are talking about, me, I don't think I can join. You. You, I'm, I'm not, I have no shame. I'm a baby Christian. In fact, you know, you know um, that failing Christian there. I'm not yet there, but I'm very, very close. And because I'm a baby Christian, first of all, I don't even know what it is I'm going to pray about. I don't even know how I can be directed. And then the second thing is, <laughs> I talk about spiritual weakness. I do have boldness to do it. I don't want to go and wake up. Uh, <laughs> somebody said, trouble, sleep. Young girl, go wake up. Waiting, they find. I'm not looking for spiritual palaver. Let me leave myself alone. Can I say, if you are any kind of Christian, Satan wants to save you. You don't have a choice. You, it's not, you don't have a choice. You know, it was like, ah, give your life to Jesus Christ. Eh, okay, I'll go to heaven. Ah, fine, okay, good. Enter, boom. Ah, and then Satan is your enemy too. Uh, it's too late. You can't undo yourself because you didn't give your salvation to yourself. Remember what I said? We don't have a choice. We have an enemy. So it is whether we decide to fight or not, but he's always going to fight us. Amen. And you say, well, I'm not a Christian. It doesn't have a, if you are not a Christian, I, he already has you. That's what we're trying to say. But about being scared, not knowing what to say, and not being bold enough, can I suggest to you, you don't have to do this on your own. That's why it says pray in the Spirit. In Isaiah 59, it says this, Isaiah 59 verse 19, it says from the West, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. When the enemies come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will do what? So when we go, guys, we are not going in our own strength. We are going in the power of what? The Holy Spirit. We cannot just be prepared. We need to be filled, what? With the Spirit. And that helps us in those two areas that you pointed out. Because the Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray. Can I give you an example? In 2008, a Bible study was formed in Manchester in the UK. There were six people. And it started, and it started to grow. And on that Bible study, three people became very good friends. And they were living together. And at some point, they started having a desire to just pray for Nigeria. And pray that the gospel will move in Nigeria, gospel will move in Nigeria, gospel will move in Nigeria. All they were praying was the gospel to move in Nigeria. 
They didn't know how or what those prayers were achieving. Do you know that many times when we pray, we don't know that we are praying into our future. And so they didn't know what was going. They didn't even know. They were just saying, God, move, God, move, God. You know, raise people, raise leaders. The best they were like, okay, God, raise leaders. Fast forward, 2009, after 2009, to show you how those prayers that were made started to be guided in a particular way. One of them, whose name was Francis, returned to Nigeria in 2013 to go and prepare the ground, to go and make new friends, and I'll come to those friends. The second, his name is Femi. In 2012, God has started telling him, I think you are going to be a pastor. In 20, uh, uh, no, sorry, in 2011, you are going to be a pastor. In 2012, oh, you will be a church planter. He thought he was in the UK. In 2013, it will be in Nigeria. Why didn't he come immediately? Oh, he had a wife. And God had to prepare that wife in 2014. So that was another sign. And then they returned in 2015. Then you see, what about Bolaji? Where is he? He's not here. But Bolaji, the first draft of the church plant that was going to be read, Bolaji revealed the whole thing. The first financier of the church that was going to be planted, Bolaji and his wife were the first, and they still continue to support to this day. The first intercessor and continues to be an intercessor for the church was Bolaji. And in 2022, the people of that church are sitting down here and they are learning about the value of intercession. Let me tell you something. There are, you see, I don't know what to pray. You will be praying. The Holy Spirit is able to approximate our errors. Let me tell you, that's why many times we look at the greatest intercessor. We say, I don't like this one's theology. I don't like this one's theology. Look, their intercession with bad theology is better than your good theology without any intercession. The Holy Spirit is able to come in and is able to take the errors. Put it away. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this is what he said. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself does what? intercedes for us through what let's go and he who searches our heart knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit inter what seeds when you start to intercede don't worry that you don't know all the right things to say just say it if you open your mouth wide he said i am the lord that brought you out of egypt open your mouth wide and i want seal it if you think you have no guidance don't worry we are going to be filled with the spirit today but there's one more thing Say, I don't have boldness. Ah, boldness. In Acts chapter 4, they told them to stop preaching the gospel. Early church, stop preaching the gospel. That means the kingdom of God cannot advance. That's what they were saying. He said, you decide what to do. But as they said that, almost they were a bit scared. So they went back and told the people. And they said, ah, almost this is what they said in Acts 4.24. They said that we should not preach the gospel again. They said, we don't have choice, but God, we are scared. So when they said God, they are scared, they now called up unto God. When they heard this, they raised their voices. I hope there are people that are ready to raise their voices today. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said to him, Now, Lord, consider their threat and enable your servants to speak, to speak your word with great word, boldness. With great word, boldness. And then verse 31. After they prayed... The place they were meeting in was shaking. Spirit of the living God, shake this house today in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will shake it so that all the things that are not eternal will be taken away. But shake this place in the name of Jesus. Fill us with your spirit. Because when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word of God with what? Boldly. They spoke the word of God what? 
boldly. Somebody saying, but I can't be bold. He says, look, the enemy pursues at the wicked road. When the enemy pursues, I hope you are not wicked. He said, but the righteous, what, are bold as a lion. He said, but the enemy too is a lion. Well, that's what one Peter said. No, one Peter did not say that he's a lion. One Peter says that he rose, he's going around, what? As a lion. He's not a lion. The enemy is fierce, but he's not a real lion. Why? Because even though he's like a lion, we are behind the one that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Have you ever read Amos chapter 3? Have you ever read Let's stand to our feet. Have you read Amos chapter 3 before? When we talk about this lion, he says, when a lion roars, is it because there is no prey? We are taking captive the enemy today. He is our prey in the name of Jesus. If he roars, there is, isn't there any prey? When he growls in his den, when it, as you know, when it hasn't caught anything, we are going to catch things today in the name of Jesus. There are occultic practices happening. And sometimes, even me, to my own shame, you will hear there's an occultic practice outside. You say, thank God I'm in my estate. Certain things have to stop simply for one reason, because you are in that area. We are going to roar today in our prophetic utterances. That's why in verse 7 he says, Surely the sovereign Lord, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets, and the church is the Lord's latter day prophet. Amen. And so he then says in verse 8, let's read it together. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but what? Prophesy. Before we enter into these prayers now, I want us, because we're going to speak with boldness, and we're going to speak with uncanny wisdom, and the Spirit is going to intercede for us. But if you feel that you have been dry in the Spirit, no problem. We all have the Spirit, but many times we have to be filled with the Spirit again. Lift your right hand up and put your left hand on your chest. And say a prayer. Say, Spirit of the living God, fill me today. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.